This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. All right, welcome everybody. Welcome all our Torah Anytime uh, viewers. Okay, so tonight we're learning for Also, as a reminder, everybody is welcome. Every woman is welcome to join us at 1601 Quentin Road every Thursday at 8 p.m., except for next week. Next week, Thursday, which is June 20th. June 20th, uh, thank you, we will not uh, be here. But after that, which is June, what is it, 27, 28, whatever it is, uh, we will, Be'ezrat Hashem, continue with that. Okay, so today what we're going to do is we're going to start, start, restart, or continuing our old series of uh, the foundation of faith, the 13 principles of faith of the Rambam. We're going to do a quick recap of the first, I believe we're up to, uh, today we're going to do 11, and we did the first 10, so we're going to do a quick recap of the first 10, and then we're going to continue with the 11th today. So, you know what, I was thinking about it, one of the things that we do, we always have, for this series, I don't think for any other series I had recaps except for this for this series. So this series I, I found it very very important to, to constantly recap because it's very very important. The the goal here is to keep on reminding every single one of us what is the thirteen principles of faith to know that it, it it's it's imbued in our brain and it's stuck in our brain and this way we'll be able to remember and we'll be able to uh, um to 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 do our regularly day to day basis of whatever we do with this uh, thought process in our mind. The 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 regular. As a speaker, speaking speaking in, in public, you have to you know there's there's two types of, of well there's many types but I like to split up the two. There are people that like to you know they sort of repeat a lot of their old information that they that they already spoke about before, which is good. It's not bad. And there are people that like to do new information. Now there's good and bad in both of them, but. From the audience perspective, from the people that are sitting in the audience, they're thinking, okay, listen, I heard this stuff already. I don't want to hear this. I want to hear something else, something new. And in, in essence, that's not really a correct thought process to do it. Because if you're going and if you are thinking in a way that all you care about is just the new material, then everything that you learned before, you'll know very, very vaguely. But you won't know the depths of it. But if you learn something and you're constantly reviewing it and constantly repeating it, then it's going to stick in your mind and that's what you're, you're going to remember. So in essence, and this is why the Gemara speaks about it, you know, plenty of times, the, the, the importance of chazara, the importance of having a review. The more that you review, the better off that you are. The, the point of all the learning of the Torah, and it, it's not just like, interesting class, nice topic, I had some entertainment, let's move on with life. No, 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 it's supposed to become part of you. In order to become part of you, you have to review it, you have to remember it, you have to internalize it. So, while I try not to repeat a lot of things that I speak about on a line, you know, again a line and again a line, there is a benefit to doing that. Um, and I have considered doing that for that particular thing, for that particular benefit. But for this particular series, I found it very, very important to constantly repeat the ten, the 13 principles of faith that we're going to do the first 10, because this way it will stick in your mind. So, very quickly we're going to go through them. Number one, the first of the 13 principles of faith is that there is a God, and God is the creator. Not only is he the creator, he's the manig, he's the boreo manig, he's the one that oversees everything. Everything that happens in your life, and in the world, and in the universe, and everywhere beyond that, it's all overseed directly by God. That's number one. Number two is that God is one. What does it mean that God is one? Meaning that both the pleasure, the pain, the bad, the good, uh, everything comes and source from one source, and that is God. Number three is that God is incorporeal. God is not physical, and we also went on to explain that God is also not spiritual. Spirituality is also a creation of, of God. God is above all that. But in, in the simplest terms, God is not physical. Number four, God is the first and God is the last. God was the first before everything was created, before the universe, before matter, before everything was created, that was God. And afterwards is only going to be God. God is timeless, God is eternal, God was before and God is going to be after. Number five, there is no one allowed to pray to other than God. You're only allowed, and there's no intermediary. There's no intermediary, you don't need, it's direct communication between you and God. Number six is that everything that the prophet said was, was true. Meaning that, you know, people ask, why is this so imperative to be in the 13 principles of faith? Because the concept of God speaking to human beings, the concept of prophecy, is the foundation of the Torah. How do we have the Torah? How do we know the Torah is, is the word of God? Because it's prophecies through communication between God and mankind. Number seven is the is the principle regarding Moshe Rabbeinu. That the prophecy of Moshe Rabbeinu was, he was the highest prophet that, that ever was. And we gave different reasons and different interpretations what was he higher than others, um, than the other prophets. Number eight is that every single mitzvah, all the Torah that we have today, so every mitzvah that we do is exactly how it was given to us by Moshe Rabbeinu through, by 
God through Moshe Rabbeinu. Everything was directly, um, directly the same. So, number nine. Number nine is that the Torah is never going to be changed. The Torah that we received is going to stay exactly the same. Coming to refute, obviously, the Christians and the Muslims and every other, everybody, everyone else that came in after the Torah and says, okay, God gave the Torah right, that's true, but He gave us something else. Or even if you could say, you know, can't really say the Havdal, but technically Havdal, Reform and Conservative. Reform and Conservative. That it's never been changed in all the time that it's been given. Like somebody just, we, I just spoke about it with somebody. I don't know I'm sure I'll name it so the question is, how do we prove? Or this is this is a foundation of our and faith. Like, how, can, how can you prove that the Torah has never been changed? Like it's been thousands of years ago. So, like, and, the, and like the only thing I can say is like we have Torahs from like five hundred years ago. It's the same exact. You have there's many proofs of why you can say that the Torah that we have today is the Torah that we had there, based off the texts that we found, based off the tefillin, for example, that we found in uh, in ruins and the archaeological finds, but. Better yet, the Torah itself says that it's never going to be changed. So how do you know the Torah is... Because if you believe the Torah is divine, the Torah is a book from God, then everything that the Torah says is true. And the Torah says, very straight out, there's not, this is it. This is the Torah that's going to have. There's not going to be another Torah afterwards. But a human is one writing it. A human is writing it as a dictation, as a, like, a, as like a secretary is dictating, uh, by, is, as a boss right. is dictating. But how so. can I explain to somebody that like, oh, they're just copying it? Like, they're like, no, but... People have ideas, and people can like change stuff. Like. So that's that's very interesting because that's what we spoke about with the thirteen principles of faith regarding Moshe Rabbeinu. No, it's perfect that you you ask actually like right on target on time because we just said the the, the principle of the Moshe Rabbeinu is not, the way that it works with Moshe Rabbeinu is usually you're right. Usually when you experience something, you're acting as an interactive interface, meaning that the way that you perceive something. And the way somebody else is going to perceive the same exact thing is going to be two different ways. Because it's going to be based on your psychological background, your emotional background, your upbringing. All different factors that two things that two people see are going to explain it differently. So when you're dealing with the Torah being given to Moshe Rabbeinu by God, it says specifically that Moshe Rabbeinu was a non-interactive interface. Meaning that he had no input in it whatsoever. But not even Moshe, like, but people after Moshe, because the Torah is continuously being copied over and over again. Like, we don't have the Torah that Moshe wrote, you know, like, Are in you... terms of, like, the actual, like, physical one. So... Like, the same exact one that he was teaching from. Like, we have people of so the way that a sofa writes a Torah, how does a sofa write a Torah? There is numerous, numerous laws that a sofa has to be able to write a Torah. What do they do? First of all, they can't just write it by they can't write it by memory. They have to copy it from an existing Torah. And not only that, they there's like, is there like a witness to prove that he's not changing even one Nakuda? Like, there there's another criteria who is allowed to be to to write it. If if my emotion if I'd seen. No, yeah, it's gonna be, it's called the Hasofer. Who's writing the so? Who's writing it? So for example, if Rabbi Moshe Feinstein, for the Ashkenazim, right, Chamavad Yosef, for the Sephardim, right, whatever it is, both righteous people, right, when you're, when you're going and they tell you something, generally, 99.9999% of human population, when they're going to, I'm talking about even secular people, are not gonna be like, can you prove it to me? You know, like, why don't they ask that? Because they, they, they trust. They trust somebody of such a high caliber that what he's telling them is true. This is a person, this is a righteous person that devoted his entire life towards God and towards, you know, spreading the truth of God and, and, and delivering only the emet, only the truth. So when you have someone like that, you're not going to question it. Who is a sofer? Who is allowed to be a sofer? It's only a righteous person. You go to the mikvah beforehand, you have to be righteous. When you're buying a, um, when you're buying a sefer Torah, when you're buying anything, you want to know who wrote it. Right, you want to do your research. Who who wrote it? Was it somebody who is reformed sometime, or is it somebody who's righteous all the time? So there's a lot of aspects. There are numerous, numerous laws. There's more than twenty laws that are that are so meticulous that it's when you go through the laws, it's impossible to say that this person, you know, maybe forced something, because everything has to go in such a such a strict criteria that you cannot make a mistake. It's not just not possible. After they do that, they check it. And even nowadays, the computer check it also to make sure that it's exactly the same. But beforehand, they would check it. There, there's a checking process. There's a process that you cannot write it by yourself. You have to write it with somebody else. If somebody reads the Torah... It's almost harder to make a mistake than to write it correctly. Yeah. It's very... Because it's not going to pass through all the, the scrutiny of, you know... Think about, like, going through TSA, you know, checkpoint, you know, like right now. Like, if you don't remember that you had metal stuck anywhere in your body they'll remind you that you had it when you go through the metal detectors, right? Because they're vamped up to like a thousand radiation, right? So when you're going in there, they're just, they're going to find out they're very, very meticulous. It depends which airport you're going to, right? 
In some airports, it'd be like, all right, everybody, just go right on the plane, you know, like, and everyone just, like, marches on the plane with their axes and shotguns, and, you know, and things like that. And then they pick up some Mohammed, random checkpoint, you know, why don't you come over here? You know, so, like, it depends, but generally speaking, TSA is supposed to do a pretty good job. Now, what, you know, you'll say, like, oh, well, what, maybe there's something, yeah, maybe something's going to miss up, but when you put so many criteria, it's very unlikely for them to, to get it. That's why terrorists nowadays have to think out of the box. They can't just walk out with, you know, with some switchblades and some box cutters. It's not going to, it's not going to fly. So, yeah, <laughs> no pun intended. Okay, so that being said, the, the way that the Torah was given, whichever way you try to break it, it's not going to be broken. There is so, it's, it's held so tightly, philosophically, from so many different points that it's, you could say it's unbreakable. You can't find any errors in it. You can't find any issues in it. You don't like it, that's your problem, not the Torah problem. You don't want to listen to the Torah, again, that's your problem, not the Torah's problem. A lot of things, people are atheists, are agnostic, they don't believe in the Torah, that's on them, it's nothing to do with the Torah. That's because they're not interested in searching the truth. And we'll see, we'll speak a little bit about it. I've had, you know, numerous conversations, numerous is a, is a, is a understatement. Also, like, even if one person decides to change it, there's so many even around the world. That exactly. The same one that, like, you just can't, like... Which is, like, one of the, one of, one of a very strong proof is, is Jews were spread out the entire world after the destruction of the Second Temple. Right, so you're talking about almost 2,000 years ago, Jews were, were spread out the entire world. About less than 200 years ago, Jews started migrating into Israel. So beforehand, you had Jews, and you remember, this is before airplanes, and this is when boat travel and ship, you know, travel through the sea was very dangerous. People did it, but it was very, very dangerous. It was very difficult for, let's say, a Jew living in England, for example, to go to Australia, or a Jew from America to go to... Um, I don't know. Mor- yeah, Morocco is a good example, or Yemen, for example, right? It's a very, very long distance. It's not possible for Jews from one end of the world to go to another end of the world. So you would think over the period of almost 1800 years, Jews will create their own Torah systems, right? They're like, yeah, like this word is there. But you go, and after 2000 years of being in exile, then all of a sudden the Jews started migrating into Eretz Israel. They all compared the Torahs, and now they're all the same. So that's also proof that if you're going and you sense people away, 2,000 years ago, and they all come together again, they have the same Torah, that also shows that the Torah was unchanging and it's remaining exactly the same. Which brings us to the ninth principle, which is the Torah will never change. <laughs> okay, and I think we explained that. Okay, so number 10, which is we spoke about last time we spoke about it, was not last week, what was it? Was it last month ago-ish, right? I don't know, sometime, sometime a while ago, um, is that we spoke about how to control one's thoughts. And where did, where did this come up? This came up because of the fact that God knows what you're doing and what you're thinking. Everything that happens, God knows everything that's going on. Now, this is really, the, that's a tense principle. This is really going to lead to the principle that we're dealing with today, which is the principle of reward and punishment. So let's go through the 11th, uh, the 11th principle, which is, um, I believe with perfect faith, that God, he bestows kindness to those who guard, who do the, who observe his commandments, and, and punish those that violate his commandments. This is based off a pasuk in Exodus, chapter 32, verse 33, verse 33. It says, And God said, Whoever sinned against me, I'm going to erase them from my book. Meaning that the greatest reward possible is the world to come. So if you flip it, if you make it into a negative, the greatest punishment, therefore, will be removal from the world to come. So the greatest world is the world to come. The greatest punishment is getting, is, is, is from the, is, is getting removed from the world to come. So this comes into a very, very interesting topic, and this is why we're going to have to, you know, additionally, we're going to have to, you know, split this, this, uh, this particular uh, principle into two classes. Num- the, how do I explain this? I have people that... Um, you know, people tell you God's merciful. You stay God's merciful. Have you ever heard that? Has anybody ever told you, yeah, God's merciful is not going to worry so much about this. Relax. Okay, you messed up once. Don't worry about it. You know, you have two people. I find it very interesting. I, you know, I, when I speak to a lot of people, especially give classes to, to different, in different venues. So you have people that come in. There are some people that say, okay, I'm going to get home anyway. And I'm like, why would you? It's like someone saying, I'm going to prison anyway. So like, let's murder more people. Like, that's not a logical statement to say. That's not a logical thing to say, okay, I'm going there anyway. But then you have the flip side where people say, 
Like, no, God is so merciful, right? God is merciful. Yeah, God is merciful. You're right. So God is going to care about if I mess up one time. Like, what's the big deal? What's the big deal if God is going to, you know, if, if, if I messed up over here, I messed up over there. All right, all right, don't worry about it. God is merciful. So about that, the Gemara in Bava Kama, page 58, says like this. A very scary concept. That says, Kol ha'omer ha'kadosh vatran, whoever says that God is going to... Um, like, forgive your transgressions. Don't worry about it. Yeah, don't worry. You know, oh, you? <laughs> You're a funny guy. Why don't you come up? Eh, don't worry about your past. Eh, don't worry about that. Why don't you just come upstairs? As opposed to downstairs. That's what it's... What, what is the Gemara finish off? It says, His life is going to be given up. Meaning that the punishment... You know, there, there are some people that say that uh, um, me and God, we have an understanding. <laughs> you know, we're good. You know... As if they do that, or they do, they pound their heart twice, um, which is weird, you know, just in general, because that's what we do for when we're asking for forgiveness. But uh, is what rappers do apparently also, they do, and then they take the peace sign, then they kiss it. I've been studying it, right? You see, see? And then they, they point it to God. So now, like, they're like, oh, don't worry. I, and I speak to people, and I see them do these things. Like, oh, don't worry. You know, like... <laughs> You know, I, what, I'm like, what's going on? Like, what, you and God, what, what, you know, you have a, something going on. Like, me and God, and then they cross their fingers. And I'm like, wrong religion. <laughs> yeah, not the right one. And they're like, no worries, me and God are good. I'm like, really? You and God are good? I'm like, the second I hear that, my blood pressure, you know, ding, 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 ding. You just won a beer, you know, like, congratulations, you know. Yes, I will scream at you in the following moments. Please stay tuned. Be like, I'm like, you and God are good. I'm like, what's good? You keep Shabbat? No. You keep kosher? No. You keep modesty? No. I'm like, why and how do you come to the realization that you and God are good? Like, who told you this? God is merciful, isn't he? I'm like, I can't this. I'm like, you're kidding me, kidding me. You know, like, my octave, you know, like, you know, like, I hit, I hit vocals that I've never intended on hitting, you know, you know, before. Yes, God is merciful, but... We have to understand something, that the Chazal tell us that somebody who says that God is not going to hold you responsible for even your smallest action is going to receive a punishment of divine dimensions. It's so imperative that we remember this, that every single act that we do, we're responsible for, whether it's good, whether it's bad. You could mess up your whole life, but there's tshuva. And once you do tshuva, yeah, once you do a complete tshuva, you're not held responsible anymore. God is merciful, that's tshuva. But if you don't do tshuva, if you get up to heaven after 120 and you think that God is going to be your little homie, right? You and God are going to be like, you're doing a special handshake or whatever it is that you worked out with your buddies. It ain't going to happen. That doesn't work that way. I wish it would. I really, it would be so convenient if it would. Because all you have to be is like, you know, a guy that God would like. Well, technically that's, that is what you have to be. It's called the 613 commandments. Uh, but like, imagine it would be like easier. It'd be like, you know, like some people like, you know, they go through life. It's just like easier. They just like, you know, somehow wander through life and they're just like a successful and like, well, yeah, you know, God is shining on that person. That's awesome. I want to be like that. That's all nice and dandy in this world. In the next world, every single thing that you do, you're going to be held responsible. There's reward and punishment for every single thing that you do. The, <clears throat> have you guys ever heard of the concept deism? So, deism, is a concept of, of where there, there's a group of people that are slightly smarter than the atheistic group, and they, um, they, they claim like this. They claim like, there must be a creator, because you're right. You know, we obviously we see our creator. So they got that part right. But then they say, well, wait a minute. But why is it that God has to be still working in the world, like intervening, interfering with the world? Maybe what God did was God created nature, which God did, God created a system that everything works tit for tat. You know, if you put your hand in fire, you're going to get burned. If you're going to go under cold water, a cold place, you're going to freeze. Everything that everything is exactly the way science works. Maybe God created this entire magnificent system, and God stepped back. God stepped back and said, "Let nature take its course." Maybe God is not intervening in the world. Maybe God took meaning. So, what, what, why is this so imperative? Why do people come with the, with this concept of theism? Atheism comes in. The whole idea of denying God and denying the Torah and denying religion is the, is one of the foundations of, of where this stems from is because I want to live my life. And if there is a God and if there is a religion, then I have to live that religion. Cognitive dissonance tells us that we don't want to feel like we're doing something bad. So if we simply say there's no God, there's no religion, it's very simple. I could do whatever I want. But what happens if you're proven time and time again that there is a God? 
So then you can say, okay, maybe you're right. Maybe there is a God, but maybe there's no religion. So that's, I can still do whatever I want. You're right, there is a God, but I can still do whatever I want. And that's where deism falls in. Deism is a fall, it falls in in the category that there is a creator, but it has nothing to do. It doesn't matter. Whatever you want to do, you know, like it's, it's cool. You know, like everything is, everything is set up in, in, in this world, scientifically, nature, and you have to, you just live your life. It doesn't matter, good, bad, whatever. It's, it's irrelevant. So, the Rambam brings down, this is one of the 13 principles of faith, that a God is going to reward you for your good deeds and punish you for your bad deeds. Now the question is, there's two questions we have to ask here. Number one, why is it, we said in the previous, in the previous principle, that number 10, that God knows what you're doing and knows what you're thinking, knows everything. And then we said that God is going to punish you. The question is, why is it that God has to know what you're doing and then he's going to punish you? God could have made it automatic, just like the deism theory, just like the theory of science and nature. Let it be automatic. Why does God have to be overseeing everything? And he sees you, and then he sees you doing this, and he sees you doing that, and blah, 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 blah. Let it just be everything just for nature. You're going to do something bad, you get zapped. You do something good, you get rewarded. It doesn't have to be now. It could be after 120. But why does it have to be that there's overseeing? That's number one. Question number one. Question number two is, why do we need to... You don't understand the question? Okay, so the question is like this. We said, one of the fundamental principles of faith is that there is reward and punishment and that God knows what you're doing. Why is it so important that God knows what we're doing? Why can't it be that God created a system that everything works automatically? Because then you wouldn't be able to do Teshuvah. And no, he put it into the system, Teshuvah. No, because if you get punished right away, then there is no time for you. No, you're not punished right away. God put into the system a, uh, what is it called? Uh, there's a system. Yeah, he gives you an X amount of time. There's a calculation. There's a formula, right? Nowadays, just speak to any actuary, right? God will hire an actuary, some Jewish guy named Goldstein, and he'll say, you know, uh, can you set me up? I want to know based on the deeds that this person did, right? Just like insurance. How does insurance work, right? So let's say health insurance. There's actuaries that work out based on how health, how healthy you are, blah blah blah. How many times you go to the doctor? How many times all these things happen? Then they put, they pull out a formula how expensive your your premium is going to be because that's how expensive. This is they have to make a calculation. Yeah, why? God could have made a very, very good character. If no, so it's for the sake of him being involved. Right, why? Why is God being involved? Yeah, that's a good question, right? <laughs> yeah, why is he need to know? That's question number one. Question number two is, okay, God knows that, but why do we need to know that? Like, why is it so important that they made it into the top 13 principles of faith, right? Top 13, we have to know that God sees what we're doing, sees what we're thinking, he knows everything, and is going to reward about Why? Okay, he did it that way, but why is it so important that we have to know about it? You understand those two questions? Good questions? I think so. Okay, so there's one word answer, and that is relationship. Now let me explain. If, 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 if something would just go automatically, then there will be indifference. If you do something good and you do something bad, alright, whatever, I'll deal with it. But there's no relationship going on. So if you mess up, think of it this way, when someone's married, and they mess up, what bothers them more is the fact that there is a relationship going on over there. As opposed to somebody messes up in something that's, there's no relationship, right? Them in the city, assuming you're not a city lover. Uh, we all love the city, right? It's amazing. Um, thank God for construction, right? So you, you go, for anybody who's living near me knows what I'm talking about, decide to do the sidewalks, you know, every four hours. Um, <laughs> Which is, you know, like, you're walking like this across the street just to try to get to, you know, to, to your car. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Is that, okay, fine, okay. So, there must have... What? Do the holes in the street before you start doing the sidewalks, you know? Like, you know, I, I'm all for sidewalks getting done again and putting those nice bumpy things so that people could know when they're stepping on it that they're about to grow into the street and danger and danger. And I'm all for that. But when the when the New York City streets are, are like this, you're just like riding down bumpy slopes, fix that before you... Okay, whatever. I, I'm, I'm using this as therapy again. Okay. Yeah. Vote for me, right? Okay. So, happens to be. I would get rid of street cleaning. Uh, okay, whatever. Okay, let's move on. Okay, so now... So... Yeah. So, exactly. Okay, so now, oh man, I'm short on time. Okay, so, 
the, going back to, to the topic ahead, the, the, the whole point of, of, of you know, the, the Torah, it's a relationship. It's a relationship between us and God. So in order to have a relationship, we know what's going on. God is aware what's going on. That's the way the relationship goes. The, the saying goes in Isaiah chapter 55, uh, verse 6. It says, Seek God where he could be found. This is very common, uh, you know, everybody who goes and speaks uh, during, between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur goes and says this pasuk. It always comes, uh, you know, it always comes up. What does this pasuk say? It says to seek God where he could be found. Where could he be found? What does it mean where, where, where God could be found? This is the question that we have to answer. People ask this year after year again. It's a very good question. Rosh Hashanah is when we get judged for the year. Yom Kippur is where we ask for forgiveness for all our sins. So wouldn't it make sense to swap it? Wouldn't it make sense first ask forgiveness and then get judged? That would be the correct sequence of things. Not first get judged and then ask for forgiveness. So why is it that way? And the answer, one of that many answers, is that if somebody's going through 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 the year, so you know they get cows, they forget about the whole concept of getting judged and doing chuba and doing they, they forget about it. Now if let's say the day of judgment, day of, of repentance would just come up, so they'll do the repentance, but like whatever, they, you know, they'll they'll go through it. But imagine they go through first the judgment first. So then they're like, okay, wait a minute. Like a, they put themselves, themselves in a different mindset. And they put and Rosh Hashanah, they put themselves in a different mindset. Like, wait a minute, God is judging me for the entire year. So it's, all of a sudden life starts getting serious. And once it gets serious, so then it goes on to the next step. This ten days of the repentance. Okay, so now there's a, then you at, at the pinnacle, at the top of it, is where you go and where you have Yom Kippur. Then when you understand the seriousness of the judgment, you understand the closeness that God has, you understand the importance of Chiva, that's when all of a sudden everything comes down and that's when Yom Kippur is going to happen. So meaning, the reason why it was done this way is because you'll understand the importance. That's why the Pasuk says, Go and seek God where He could be found. Where could He be found? When people are searching for Him. When are people searching Him? Between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Why are they searching for Him? Because of the judgment that they had on Rosh Hashanah. So all of a sudden it wakes them up and it goes into, it goes into the, to the concept of, of trying to understand what we need to do and what we need to do correctly. This is the concept of a relationship. We understand that God is watching us. God is observing. God cares. It's not, there's no indifference to God. Be like, hey, whatever it is, whatever it is, just deal with it. So somebody who has like that, let's say somebody, uh, um, his, his father is the mayor of New York, whatever, right? And um, every time they get a speeding ticket, it hurts the father. They're like, really? Like, I put the speed limit into, like, I was careful to put it in this area because my children are over here. I made it very careful, so it hurts them. So that person will be more careful on speeding because they know that they're hurting their father. There's a relationship going on. As opposed to somebody... Let's just say from Brownsville, right? They're just driving through it. They couldn't care less about the mayor. They couldn't care less about it. So yeah, they might not drive fast because they don't want to get a ticket. But at the same point in time, if they get a ticket, eh, whatever, okay, I'll pay it, I'll fight for it, whatever it is, I'll do a hard Jewish lawyer, whatever, you know, like I'll do what I got to do. There's a difference in understanding the mitzvot, there's a difference in understanding the Torah when there's a relationship going on. And that's what's going on over here. There's a relationship that's going on between us and HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Right, right. So there is, right. There is a lot, right. So there is a lot to speak about. That, that children thing, there's a whole, chinuch is a whole, especially nowadays, a big hot topic now. But, uh, we're not gonna get into it. But yeah, there is, you're right. There, there is, there is a concept of that as well. Now, when, we have to understand that when God goes and God punishes somebody for doing something bad, it's not like God is getting angry, like, how dare you do this to me? Like, after all that I've done for you, I can't believe this, and there's anger, and there's a punishment, and there's hatred. It's none of that. Rather, it's a consequence. You did something bad, there is a consequence that you're going to have to get ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba in order to be healed from your issue that you had, which is your sin. The the way that we think of this, I want to share with you something about Moshe Goldstein, how he explains it in um, in his book. I forgot what it's called, but he has a book, and it's a good one. Um, so he goes and explains like this. Let's say somebody chooses, you know, he's thinking about what he's going to be as a profession, he's a doctor, a lawyer. He's like, you know what, let me be a thief. You know, like, that's what I'm going to do. He's going to be, uh, he decides that he's going to be a thief. So he goes and he starts, uh, you know, he starts robbing people. And he's, that's his profession. And the concept of him getting caught until he gets caught, it's only theoretical. It's like, yeah, whatever, when I get caught, I'll deal with it. But once he gets caught, so let's say he, he robbed somebody, and then he got caught right after that. Is there a connection between robbing and the punishment that he's going to receive by getting caught? Now, before you before you answer, you have to think about it. Yes, he's getting caught, he's getting punished now because he got caught. 
But what if he wouldn't have gotten caught? Would he still have gotten punished? And the answer is no. He wouldn't have gotten punished. He only got punished because he was caught. Meaning that there's no inherent connection between robbing somebody and getting punished. Rather, what is the connection? The connection has, there's a, there's a third, there's a third, uh, you know, point that has to come. There's robbing somebody, getting caught, and then there's a punishment, and then it connects everything together. That, you know, the, the, that's the connection of, of what we're dealing with conventional punishment. It's not a punishment, it's a sort of retribution. You have to pay your dues, what you have to do. Now think of it, this way, let's say a guy goes and, and he's, he's a lifelong, you know, he's a professional thief, right? He is, he's doing a good job and he realizes every 50 times he gets caught. So he might think, okay, listen, it's worth it. Every 50 times I get caught, I have to sit in jail for maybe a year or two and blah, 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 you know, makes a calculation and it's worth it for him. So he, he makes a calculation that this is, that this is worth it. As opposed to, let's say somebody puts their hand in fire and when they put their hand in fire, they get burned every single time. That is not a, you know, there is a very, very big difference over here between someone robbing, getting caught, and then getting punished, versus sticking your hand in fire and getting the consequence right away. Sticking your hand every single time, you're going to get burnt. Every single time. So, the way that it works in conventional punishment, and in punishment in, in nowadays, you know, in our age, when we're alive, is you do something bad, you get caught, you get punished, you don't get caught, you don't get punished in this world. Right? Yes, the have an right. In the next world, the way that it works is like putting your hand in fire. So you go and you do something wrong. If you put your hand in fire, it's not like the fire is like, oh, I'm so angry. How dare you put yourself in my airspace? Oh, I'm going to burn you. It doesn't work that way. It's like you put yourself in heat, you're going to get punished. How are you going to get punished? I'm going to burn you, right? You're going to get third degree burns because you're staying in your hand in your fire. That's just the way that the way it works. That's the way that it works in spiritually speaking. If somebody does something wrong, it's an automatic consequence of what you're going to get punished. Unless you do chuba. If you do chuba, then you don't have the automatic consequence, which is crazy. Imagine that. Imagine you put your hand in fire, and then before you get burned, you'll be like, no, you know, what's again. I'm sorry, I just shouldn't have put my hand in the fire. Why did I put my hand in the fire? No burn. No punishment. No nothing. Can you understand that? That's crazy. That's miraculous. But if it's automatic, how do you have the time to do that? Well, obviously, it's automatic after 120. Yeah, that's okay. It's automatic there? It's automatic there. There are There's some... that happens to us in this world is not... There are. There are some people and there are some sins that people get punished in this world. And in the next world, there's some people only get punished in this world. It's all God's calculation. So a person can get punished in this world for sins that they're doing now. And they can also only get punished in the next world for it. But the punishment is a direct consequence of what they did of the sin. Meaning as opposed to like a possible, you know, it's a, it's always a direct correlation. Right, so somebody who keeps Yom Kippur and does chuva, they're doing good. They're doing well, right? They do chuva and they don't do it again. They do complete chuva, they're doing well. This is, listen, it's worth it to be a religious Jew, right? It, it pays. This is why you have even the secular people, and they know that, at least at a certain point in time in history, they would keep Yom Kippur. Because they would know, they want to keep it right. I had somebody that asked me, one of my, you know, somebody I sat in my class, and I was speaking about chuva, and he raised his hand, he's like, wait, why do we have to do chuva? We just had Yom Kippur. And so I was like, so did you do chuba? He's like, wait a minute, I thought Yom Kippur just like, you know, like, etch sketches my sins. Um, so, uh, you know, and you know, like, to a certain sense it does, you know, per se, but you have to do chuba. I'm like, did you do chuba? Like, what's chuba? I'm like, okay, you got no etch sketch I'll tell you that much. You know, like, like, you've got to do chuba on your sins. So people understand the concept, the importance of Yom Kippur, which is why it's one of the holiest days of the year. So, the, in any case, let's move on. The, but Moshe goes and brings down this this fascinating you know example on how he um, the story I guess how he, how he brings down this point. Imagine a girl is dating a guy, and everything. Oh, thank you very much. She's dating a guy, and everything is working great. And then suddenly, there's a woman that meets her in the street and says, "Hey, wait, aren't you dating this guy? You know, blah blah blah." And she's like, "Yeah, <laughs> it's unbelievable. Yeah, I think he's the one." She, and she, the woman goes over to this girl and says. You've got to break it off. The guy is, you know, like, you've got to stay far away. It's going to make your life miserable. Stay far away as possible. And he was like, well, stop be hating, or whatever the terminology is, right? Um, I know I messed it up, but whatever it is, right? Like, why you? Why do you care? Like, oh, you know why? Because her daughter is not mad. You know how people's brains work. Yeah, of course. You know, like, she doesn't care about me. She cares about herself. And blah, 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 blah. So she's like, yeah, she doesn't know what she's talking about. She goes out for a few more dates. And after she goes out for a few more dates, 
again, this woman meets her in the streets, be like, so, um, are you still uh, dating the guy? And be like, yeah, it's going unbelievable. And she gets all serious, and she's like, hey, 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 you look at me, look at me. Don't do it. I know him. <laughs> Don't do it, right? So she's like, but he's so great, you know, he drives a, uh, whatever. You know, like, it's so unbelievable. I don't know, whatever, girls think the guy's great. Right, so, like, uh, you know, it's unbelievable. I, you know, like, no, and she keeps on going. Meanwhile, she gets engaged, Mazatov. And then there is a, there's like a pre-engagement party, right? There's a vart, right? And, and she goes in, and this woman is there also. And she's like, she's like, Psst. you know, come here. Yeah, let me talk to you for a second. It's still not late. Break it off. I'm telling you, it's going to end in a disaster. And she's like, what? She's like, and people are smiling, taking pictures. She's holding her, her flowers, right? Her husband's six feet away. They're smiling together, right? They're holding champagne glasses, right? They're going and everything is unbelievable. And she's like, well, you can stop it. Fast forward a month, there's an engagement party. All her friends come. All her relatives come. Everybody's smiling. Her husband is amazing. Her family is amazing. This woman comes back in. And she comes in and she's like, can I talk to you for a second? I got something to tell you. She goes in and she says, listen. She says, I told you this before. I know you weren't listening, but trust me. Break it off. The guy is, is not good for you. It's not meant for you. And she's like, why you got to do this? She's like, I'm having, finally I found the guy after dating for brr, months or years. All right. I finally found the guy. Why do you got to ruin it for me? Like, stop it. Just leave me alone. This is my soulmate. This is my zivug. This is my shiduk. Just stop it. She's like, fine, don't say it anymore. You know, people mumble, I don't know what's just doing something nice. That's all I'm trying to do. Right? So she's going, muttering herself until she gets home. And she finally, you know, she gets engaged, and then comes the wedding. And the wedding is, is starting. You know, she's dressed in her, in her gown, and her bridesmen are all dressed in blue, but no one calls it blue. They call it, you know, Baby ocean, turquoise, whatever, some made up name that women make up about, about colors, right? And it's like, oh yes, everybody's gonna be, and everything's amazing, and they're taking pictures, and it's amazing, and then suddenly, the woman comes up, and baby turquoise, ocean blue, right? And she's like, how do you know this? And she's like, shh, come here. It's not too late. You could run. I have a cab waiting for you outside. You know, just go! Just leave! Just run for the hills! And she's like, why do you want to break this up so badly? Stop it. I'm marrying my soulmate. Leave me alone. And she goes and she gets married. <laughs> Four months go by. And they're sitting in Betty, waiting to get a divorce. And she's looking at him six feet away also again. And he's looking at her and she's like, what did I ever see in this guy? It's like, what a piece of... Yari Shemayim that I don't enjoy so closely. Whatever, you know, obviously good things, but she couldn't say good things, whatever, you know. So she goes and she gets a tap on her shoulder. And it's the woman. She's still dressed in turquoise, blue, blue, blue ocean. And she's like, um, you want to make a thousand bucks? And she's like, I'm like in the middle of a divorce, you know, going on over here. I want to make it. She's like, look, it's a busy day today. There's like four people ahead of you in line. All right, do you want to make a thousand bucks or not? So she's like, all right, well, I might as well make a thousand bucks. I don't know what prenup, you know, like, I don't know, whatever. So anyways, she goes and she takes him to the other room and she opens up a laptop. And in the laptop, she watches herself and she watches this woman. I guess this woman hired a camera crew and recorded everything. And she said every single time when they were dating twice, when they, be, when they, got, when they, when they got engaged, when they had the engagement party, by the wedding, every single time the woman came and said, hey, break it up. It's not for you. And then this girl takes the laptop. She's so frustrated. She throws it on the floor. She stomps at it. She's like, I can't. She gets so angry. Now, why is she getting so angry? Why, why all of a sudden she's blowing up? You know why it bothers her so much? Because she knows it's true. She knows that she had the warning. She knows that she had the ability to say like, okay, listen, maybe you're right. Maybe I should check into this. But she didn't. So in essence, when people realize that it's all their fault, that is the greatest punishment at all. After 120, when you come up and you say, wait a minute, it was all my fault? Like, I could have lived a different life. I could have had everything and I lost and I took everything away. But like, that's the biggest punishment of all. You know, when people go and they live their life and they don't live according to the Torah, and then they come into the realization, hopefully before they die, that the Torah is legit and they have to follow the Torah and they have to follow the laws and the, and the 630 commandments and all that, they have two issues that they're dealing with. Number one, is that whatever they thought that there was good, 
was really not really good. Like they just assumed that it was good because either that's what society was telling them, that's what their friends were telling them, or that's what they thought that you know that by themselves that it was good. But in essence, many things that they did that they thought were good were really very, very detrimental to them. Very, very painful, and there's a tremendous amount of, of you know of of answering that they're going to have to do after 120. That's number one. Number two, they realized they wasted their entire life. When they come up to 120 and they say, wait a minute, this is what I dealt with my whole life and I wasted my entire life? That's the biggest punishment. You have this also, you know, you tell people in the dating world. As I speak a lot to people that are dating, also that are married. And, you know, so you have people that, what are they focusing on? You could tell on what's their goal. So you have some people, what do they want? Make sure the guy has a lot of money. Make sure that, so if you have a choice of any money or Torah, not saying sometimes you can find a guy who has money and Torah, absorption by all of you, right, whoever needs it, but when you find it, when you, when, when it's either money or Torah, I was like, no, 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 money first, apanasa first, add Torah every other Tuesday, you know, like whatever, you know, like when God decides that we're, whatever it is, you know, the, the excuses that they give, we'll deal with it then. So when you're going and when you're living your life, you decide what's important in your life and you decide what's not important in your life. Is it important to dress modestly or is it important to just dress the way that I want so I can feel the recognition that I want? Blah 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 blah. It all depends on your what you feel that it's that it's important. When you're dating, is it more important looks or is it more important good midot? I've spoken to so many people, men and women, both who have said no to guys or girls that are. Very, very good looking, but no, they're not, it's not, it's not up to par them. But they have good midot, they have good to they good, they even have money, they have everything else, not interested. Like, what, so what's your, what's important in your life? If it's all it is, it's money and looks and all that, then you realize that after, after a certain point in time, you can be like, wait a minute, and I'm talking about in this world. After a certain point in time, when the looks go, the money not always stays, then you can be like, well, oh my god, what did I do? Like, how did I end up with this? Then you're gonna have a tap on your shoulder. It's gonna be a little girl. Or a woman with turquoise. She's probably going to be old, hopefully. And blue ocean breeze, whatever, blue. And she's going to be like, I told you so, you know. When you have children, when you have, ch- when you have children, what do you, what do you tell the children? Do you tell the children that it is more important to be a doctor or a lawyer? Or is it more important to be a Talmud Chacham? A tzaddik, somebody who learns Torah. What do you imbue on your children? Do you tell them, hey, hey, listen, one day... You're gonna go and you're gonna become a surgeon. Yes, and you're gonna make mama and papa so proud of you, right? Or are you telling them, no, 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 what you're gonna be, you're gonna be a big tabit chacham, you're gonna write sfarim, you're gonna be able to go and teach Torah, you're gonna be able to go and bring people back to Torah. Whatever it is that you're gonna tell them, where is the importance that you hold in your life? There is so much things that happen in our life that everything that is, that, that, that is the outcome of that is all based on how important we make it to ourselves. Is it more important money or is it more important Torah? Is it more important midot or is it more important look? Is it more important to be a doctor or is it more important to have righteous children? You're the ones who are going to decide that. And the importance that you're going to give on it is going what's going to pass on to your children. Now, when dealing with, with problems in this world, this world, we are very used to problems being short-term. Even people understand that problems are long-term. You think about the people that are searching for happiness, right? So you start from little kids. So when they're in, I don't know, when let's say you start from high school, right? When someone's in high school, they're like, you know when I'm going to be so happy? When I'm going to go to college. You know, and then when they're in college, they're like, you know when I'm going to be so happy? When I get a job. And then when they get a job, he says, you know when I'm going to be so happy? When I find another job, because I hate my job. And then he says, you know when I'm going to be happy? When I find another, and that goes on for a while, by the way. Right? So, and, and then you say, you know when I'm going to be happy? When I have, when I'm going to be married. And then you say, you know when I'm going to be married? When I, uh, when I'm going to be happy? When I have kids. And when my kids leave the house. And when my, uh, you know, and then when I have grandkids. Everything is like, I'll be happy, then, 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 then. And then after 120, you're sitting over there at the end of the line, and then you're like, Done. Gamanu. Finished. Game over. Now what did you accomplish in your life? You're always pushing on. Like I'll learn after retirement. I'll learn then. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll grow after when I find the guy that I, that I, that I'm gonna grow together with. When you push off, then after a certain point in time, if that's your personality, you're gonna push it off, and you're gonna push it off, and you're gonna push it off, and then it's gonna come out to, to the day of 120, and you're about to pass away, and then you're gonna be like, what did you accomplish in your life? Do you have Torah in your life? You have chesed in your life, maybe. Maybe you have tefillah. Maybe you are praying good. What do you have in your life? Were you modest in your life? Did you have a lot of good? What do you have in your life after 120? What do you have to show for your life? Are you going to show what? That you are busy with, with YouTube? And maybe you are with Torah classes. I don't know. But, or, you know, where you, I don't know what else is other than uh, Facebook, Instagram. Okay, we took a turn for the right and, and then it crashed in the thing. You're Netflix, right? Did you waste your time wasting your life? Or did you use your time wisely and after 120 be like, you know what? You got some luggage. Good luggage, right? Going up into the next world. Be like, okay, listen, this is what I got. 
you know, and you're way above the weight limit, right? And you're, you're not paying any penalties, right? It doesn't go that way when you're traveling up to heaven, right? If you go travel anywhere, you know, like, uh, you, know, the, you know, anybody travel to Israel? Ever? So when you go over there, you see people, the Jews start sweating, right? When they're going over there, El Al is being run by Nazi impersonators, right? And they'll be like, 50 pounds! There's no more than 50 pounds! You will go down the line, right? And you gotta go, and you gotta unzip your, your thing. I'm speaking out of experience, by the way, right? And you gotta take out the thing, and then you're like, okay, it's like 52 pounds. Like, what's two pounds over here? And then you finally find something that's two pounds, because you're taking water to Israel for some reason, right? And you take water out and be like, and then you close it back up and then they weigh it and then they're, you know, and then it's like, and then it's still, you know, then like, thank God you got like 50 pounds. And he's like, oh, thank you so much. My praise the Lord. And then you tell the, um, not the, you know, the, the travel agent, the person impersonating the Nazi, right? Not, not Nazi, I'm just like presenting in the, whatever. Okay, so now, you go and you, and you say, what am I going to do with this extra stuff? And be like, put it on your carry-on. And now anybody who's smart will, as I have a question for you, okay? <laughs> it's going on the same plane, okay? What is the difference if it's on top or it's on bottom? Or like, does it make a difference? Be like, no, 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 not over here, right? No, on the bottom, it could go on top, no weight limit, right? Well, that also, okay, so assuming it's not water, right? I don't know. Assuming it's farim, right? Obviously, that's what's going on, right? Assuming it's farim. As opposed, the whole weight limit, right? Yeah, we're going to go off tangent, even though we're in crazy short on time, right? Like, the whole weight limit in, in thing makes absolutely no sense to me, right? I don't weigh that much. I should get more leeway on my weight care. You see the obese person behind me? 350 pounds, right? The guy has got at least, you know, 200 pounds above me, you know? I could have a 200 pound leeway. Like if there's two and a half pounds extra on my suitcase, let me go on. You know? <laughs> whatever, I don't know. I'm just assuming these things happen. I, I you know, whatever. So, but anyways, right? Reward and punishment. Everything is plugged in. I don't know what I'm talking about anymore. Okay, so now, oh my gosh. Okay. <sighs> and we're back. Okay. Right, so when someone's suffering, right, suffering, right, suffering in life, that's what we're talking about, right, flying and so, no, okay, happens to be, I, I kid, I kid, the, the, the people in the, uh, you know, in the airlines are just doing their jobs and you shouldn't get upset at them and you shouldn't, you know, say the things that I said because uh, that will probably get you rock, locked up in a room for interrogation, <laughs> you know, I'll be like, you know, like random security check right here, you know, that type of person, so uh, they're doing what they need to do and no ill feelings towards them, may they all be blessed and may they all live until 120, may all be a chazel they do need to, um, and uh, whatever other blessings that they need. But anyways, bashing on, uh, enough bashing on airlines. Um, yeah, <laughs> thank you for flying Torah anytime. Okay, so now, I'd, I'd like close any loops. What? You get, you get peanuts and pretzels and sushi if you come to the class. If you don't come to class, you could just smell it and think about all the delicious food that we have over here. The truth is, you know, besides all the rib steak that we have over here, and the lamb, and the salmon spread, obviously split up, you know, like, and all the salads that we have over here, it's really a shame that no more, you know, we should have more than, than the regular, you know, 3,000 people that show up here. Um, <laughs> no one knows, but it happens to be, there's, there's always a nice spread over here. Okay. All right. Okay, all right, okay, all right. Ain't gonna happen. Okay, so... Um, I don't know what I was thinking that... Uh, whatever. Okay. We'll go until we go, until we get kicked out. Okay, so now, the... Which is gonna be in about five minutes. So, the... When somebody goes and somebody uh, goes through suffering in life, right? You have to understand, when people go through through suffering in life, they have to, what the Gemara says, what Pilkei Avot tells us, that if someone sees that bad things are happening, he has to go and search his things. Maybe he's doing something wrong. Maybe there's something wrong that's going on. There is also a concept of negligence. Maybe somebody is negligent in what they're doing. For example, there are people that date, and the people that um, that they some some people this is something that I've uh, unfortunately had to deal with more than once is they don't date someone unless it matches their astrological sign. Now 
generally the first things that come into mind and be like, that's why you're single. Because you just make up stuff and you're following it. It has, it, it has, it, it doesn't mean anything. If you're going, so sometimes when people go and they do, they, they, they have the problems in their life, we're speaking about reward and punishment, but it also happens to be that it, it also, it's also due to the fact that maybe you just are not smart. Let's leave it clean, right? You're just a not smart person. Your, your, your own negligence is what's causing you to have these issues. It's what, it's what's causing you to have these problems. The, you know, you have people that are angry people. And they say, why do I have such bad luck with relationships? Because you're a terrible person. Like, that's why. You are very bad. Like, you're not good at all. You have to work on yourself. Have anything else, Rabbi? Maybe there's something. Like, no, no, that just barely is, is as far as it goes. Like, just fix yourself. You know, and then what do, we, what do, what do I usually tell them? Um, once you uh, go to therapy. No, therapy doesn't work. It's only for money. It doesn't work. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like Fix your deeds. <laughs> no, that's for like people that are wicked. I'm a righteous person. Uh, you know, like, so what do you want? Yeah, exactly. It's just, well, maybe you have a Kabbalist that could figure out why I'm not getting married. I'm like, I just told you why you're not getting married. You know, like, exactly. It's not an Ayinara. It's your Ayinara. It's your own eyes that are looking bad. That's what's the problem. What people don't understand is people go and they look for an easy fix. And I speak to so many people on this. They're either in their marriage, they're having a tough time or whatever it is. And I push them to do the things that they need to do. Right? Go to therapy. Get on medication if you need it. Whatever it is that you need to do, go and fix yourself. Nah, I don't believe in that stuff. And be like, this conversation is over. There's nothing more for me to say. Like, I, I don't know what to tell you. Like, you come to me for help. This is what you need to do. You don't want to do it. This is why you have a problem. Oh, no, maybe I ba 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 Yes, maybe ba 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 But also, you're need therapy. You're, you know, you have got to fix yourself. You know, like, I've had people that call me up in their marriage complaining that it's the spouse's fault. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You know, I sound like a lawnmower. No, 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 no. Not the spouse's fault. And maybe it's the spouse's fault as also because you always hear one side of the story. But like, what about you? Like, you both need help. Like, in every fight, there's always two people wrong, right? And there's no right answer, right? There's always three sides to every fight. There's the man, the woman, and then the correct one. And it never is the correct one. It's always the man and the woman. And it's always different. Everybody needs help. Everybody needs fixing. Everybody. And, and there's people say like, no, no, no. There's absolutely nothing wrong with therapy. There's absolutely nothing wrong with getting help. There's absolutely nothing wrong with medication. There's nothing wrong if you need the help, then get it. But if you're going to go and you're going to say, no, this is not for me. This is not what I want. This is not what I'm looking for. Then you're digging your own grave. Like, what do you want from everybody else? Like, why are you looking for shortcuts when you know the problem straight out? When you know the issue straight, straightforward, this is what you need to do. So, while we're going to have to end this short, the concept of reward and punishment is, is very, very imperative. I, I was actually hoping to do it in two classes. We might actually have to spread it out to three. I'm hoping that we'll be able to do it in two. But Bezat Hashem will continue with uh, next time, which is going to be in two weeks, regarding this topic, because we do have to uh, close off because there is another group uh, coming in. Any questions thus far, very quickly, in the negative minutes that we have? Yes. Anybody have questions on camera? No questions. Is it because I said we don't have any time? Very good. Excellent. Okay. Thank you very much for coming. Okay. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.